Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of The Theological Arsonist. Today I'm joined by my brother John. Mm. So excited to have him on mm. the podcast. We're going to be talking about a very important subject today, the subject of God's sovereignty and evangelism and how we as Christians navigate that um, in this world. And so uh, before we begin though, John, uh, please introduce yeah. yourself, just let everybody know who you are, what you do, all yeah, that. Absolutely. Uh, my name is John Warehouser and uh, just a little bit about me. Grew up going to uh, Lakeland Church in Gurney, Illinois. That's where we had met, and uh, I was uh, prayed the prayer when I was about six, and just had no interest in in God. And uh, I was born again in middle school, and ever since then, there's just been such a desire for middle school ministry and youth ministry specifically. And so, I work with uh, students, just praying that they would be that they would grow in their relationships with God and, and that they would have those moments of, of just being born again of how I was saved in that ministry. And there's just such a passion I have for mm-hmm. for youth ministry and just seeing where they might have prayed the prayer when they were young for them officially getting it and having that aha moment. Mm-hmm. So, but yeah, and, and since then just been growing in my love for the Lord and, and sanctification and it's just been a, a wonderful journey. So. Praise God. Praise God. Yeah, well, it's a, it's an honor to have you on yeah. my show and I'm really excited for this this mm-hmm. subject. So yeah, we're talking same. about evangelism, God's sovereignty. Mm-hmm. And so, John, wherever you want to begin... Mm-hmm. Dive in cool, and, and cool. let's let's have a good awesome, conversation. Yeah. Yeah. And, and thank you again for having me on. It's, of course. It's, it's an honor. When you had asked, I was like, oh, I'd be honored to be on here. So thank you so much. <laughs> I'm glad. Yeah. And, you know, yeah, just, you know, the conversation of, of evangelism and the sovereignty of God. I have such a passion for this subject because I see so many people in the church and it seems like they... Uh, instead of seeing uh, the bride of Christ as as souls, they see them as well. How, how many people uh, made decisions for mm, Christ? Right. right. And how, how many people? Uh, maybe there might be an event, and there might be people that that you know came to the altar. And I believe people can be saved in those moments, but you'll have these vast people that will make a decision. And then when that happens, uh, as they begin to fall away over time, I know we went to a youth group where there were a lot of people who, you know, seemed to be in a great place with God. And yet as time went on, it just seemed like they began to fall away. And I know a lot of times when I see that, I could think, well, what's happened? You know, has the word fallen? Has the gospel failed? But just realizing that God has a specific purpose throughout the church, throughout evangelism, and he's having his specific purposes happen when we proclaim the word for the elect to be saved. But then there are times where people might make that profession, but then as time goes on, they might fall away. And so there's just such a desire where, where I see, especially as I was saved in the middle school ministry, just going, how can I witness, but then trusting completely in God to to do his work within the souls of his, his elect. Right. Yeah. And I, I think, I think there's a struggle, um, at least something that I've struggled with, mm. is being able to see, to not go to one extreme or the other, mm. right? Because I think that there's there can be a tendency to go either, either God is sovereign and therefore, mm. what am I going to do to thwart his will? Right. So <laughs> if I sit around and do nothing, then mm. his will is still going to be accomplished. Yeah. But then there's the other side that goes and denies the sovereignty of God and places the emphasis on, I need to do something in order to convert all these people. And off camera, we were talking about, you know, different 
different situations and i brought up you know that there were people that i've heard that have literally said well god might show you people in hell mm. that are there because you refuse to evangelize uh. and we, we know scripturally that that is just not true right. but then you can also hear the more extreme calvinistic mm. side that says well god's doing it so don't even worry don't even work in that area yeah. at all and so how, how do you think that we can find that balance like where <laughs> is a great that question you know? yeah that, that's so well said because I think too a lot of times you know when people will yeah go on one of those extremes what will happen is they'll they'll say things like that of they'll, they'll talk about how oh well if God is sovereign then how can we you know why would we share the gospel right when the reality is both both are in scripture right you know predestination is clearly there right and at the same time it, we are commanded to you know tell people that they must repent and believe in the gospel and so I think that's a huge way where where you know as we look at both of those extremes just being able to to say as we read the word you know both are there and where there might be paradoxes at times where God does predestine and yet the way that the the salvation happens is through our proclamation of the word and through the the seed being sown on the fourth soil. Right. Yeah, and I think you can see this even in non-soteriology mm. type situations mm. like when God is going to punish Israel. <laughs> he yeah. will use sometimes a pagan nation to do that and then punishes the pagan nation. Right. For doing it because he knew the intentions of their heart were sinful. And right. so you look at that and you go, but wait, God, you just made them do that. So why are you punishing them for what you made them do? Well, because there's a paradox there that mm -hmm. God is accomplishing his purpose through the sinful actions of man. Yes. And so in the same way, we can turn that to evangelism. God mm. accomplishes his purposes perfectly mm. through the actions of man. Right. We can't thwart those purposes, but mm. we are absolutely involved in yes. those purposes. Amen. Right? Amen. Yeah, that is so well said. That, that, that's so true. And uh, just even kind of looking at the subject, uh, you know, I'm reminded of a passage that's in 1 Corinthians. And I just want to find this in yeah. 1 Corinthians 1 because I think another reason why there's such comfort that we can get in the subject is so many churches are focused on pragmatism. Mm. And I think that the Bible is so against pragmatism. And this is uh, 1 Corinthians 1. Um, where it says, I just want to find this here, um, in 1 Corinthians 1, uh, in verse 17, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. Mm. And I feel like this is one of the reasons I'm so passionate about this, is because, because people have, in one sense, either forgotten or rejected total depravity, yeah. they think, oh, man, by their own free will, is able to choose on their own. And so then they use eloquent wisdom. And yet here we see Paul is saying where he says that he did not have it with eloquent wisdom. And then it says, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. Right. And I see so many people who they'll begin to preach or share the gospel, but they won't just say it, it blanket statement as it is. Christ died on the cross. He died to bear the wrath of God on our behalf. But what they'll do is they'll try to use these almost eloquent arguments to try to get people to make a decision. Right. When that that empties the cross of its power, we we can't be thinking, oh, I need to present it in this you know wonderful array of of 
you know, of, of just trying to get the unbeliever to somehow in their own intellect choose mm. when the veil is over their minds. They hate the gospel. They hate Christ. And just realizing we need to just proclaim it and then rest in his... In, in, in the in fact his... that God's grace is what does yes. the rest. Yeah. Amen. I think of Paul. He said, you know, Paul, me, Paul, Silas, mm. we, we plant the seed. Yes. God supplies the growth. Amen. You know? So that's our job. We're, we're planting seeds. That's yes. it. And uh, oh, I was gonna say something. Mm. Um, this is this is actually why I've uh, I, I grew very fond of presuppositional mm. approach to apologetics, because when you think about the idea of apologetics, a lot of times it's the eloquent words. Mm. People are approaching it, going, "Man, if I can formulate <laughs> an argument that's compelling enough, right. I can convince somebody that God exists or that God or that Jesus died and He rose again," and. Um, it was it was Sai in his documentary yes, that said, love Cy. you know, I thought it was so profound. He said, when somebody says, prove to me that God exists mm. and you engage that, you're putting God on trial and judging him. Amen. And I, I just found that so profound because the reality is scripture is abundantly clear in Romans mm. 1. Yes. Everybody knows. Yes. Everybody knows. <laughs> and they're suppressing the truth and unrighteousness. Amen. And so it's not our job to come alongside people and try to convince them of something that they know. Mm. It's our job to proclaim the gospel so that God might do a work in them and change their hearts. Yes. You know, I hate when people say, you know, give your heart to Jesus, give your heart to Jesus. I'm like, no, Jesus needs to give a new heart to you. <laughs> you don't Amen. need to give your heart to Jesus. He needs That's to give a good. new heart to you. <laughs> And so I think we we oftentimes approach it mm. just so incorrectly. And I think that you know, even now in a, in a format like this on a podcast, mm. it's so easy for us right now to be thinking in our heads, how can I say things eloquently since sure, other people are going to be watching this? Point. You know, wow. why are we thinking that way? Mm. If God's going to use something oh. we say today, right now, wow. he's going to use it regardless of how eloquent we are. Amen. You know? oh, that is and so there, well there should be great comfort and beauty in yes. that. That's so well said. And, and even just you, as you had said that, there have been so many times in my own life, yeah, if it be... Uh, you know, recording a, a, a podcast episode, getting ready for a sermon, or yeah, just even having a conversation where I'll have that thought of, oh, how can I sound eloquent to whoever it is? And I think too, just on this whole conversation with with our our th thinking about how other people are perceive perceiving, but then also even when we proclaim the word and how a lot of people with, with, you know, pragmatic approaches, I think all of it, it really goes back to just realizing who will be glorified in the end of the day. And right. as you were talking about that comfort, there's such comfort we can have where God, because everything that matters is God's glory, we can just, as we think about humans, if it be other believers, but then if it be unbelievers who might not have come to faith yet, as we look at God being, we are, we have an audience of one, that, that rest of, oh, because we are justified by, you know, faith in Christ and we have peace with God, then, then we can just proclaim with comfort. We can right. proclaim with peace and, and we can just let God do whatever he pleases, you know? Amen. Amen. <laughs> I, I want to ask a question. Yeah. So. Because I, I think something, one of the roots, and I, you touched on it earlier, but one of the roots to the problem that happens when people approach evangelism is mm. a denial of total depravity. Yeah. So can you can you just share, it doesn't have to be brief, it could sure. be as long as you want, but yeah. just share why that is so important to grasp 
in order for us to even just approach evangelism oh, correctly? That's a great question. And because I would say too, you know, I would say that I, I thought that I believed in total depravity for a long time, but I would say that for years I misunderstood total depravity. Mm. And because I misunderstood total depravity, it, it, when I first figured out what total depravity actually meant, my entire worldview changed. Because I used to think, and this is embarrassing for me to share this, but what I used to think total depravity was is we're so evil that Jesus had to die for us. Like, that's what I thought it was. And that's all I thought. But when I realized that it meant we're so evil that it's impossible for us to ever desire or seek God on our own behalf because of our sin, my entire view of everything changed. Because then I began to realize, whoa, things like the sinner's prayer, things like altar calls, things like raise a hand and uh, walk an aisle. And once again, people can be saved through those means. But in reality, total depravity, if we don't understand that, it will cause for us to completely not realize that it is completely through proclamation. And even just just thinking uh, in, I believe it's in Mark 4, it says, this is talking about the parable of uh, the sower and uh I'm going to start in verse 13, 413. And he said to them, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word, and these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are, are, the, so, are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires of other things enter in and choke the word. And then verse 20, but those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. That it is, so we sow the seed and yet it is God who has to do that work. He has to take out that heart of stone, put in that heart of flesh. And if someone doesn't know that we are totally depraved, they're going to think that evangelism is like selling Jesus like they sell a car. Right. But the reality is that because we're totally depraved, it's like trying to sell the car to the Amish. They <laughs> hate the car. Or if I was to go down to, let's say, a community of those who are blind, trying to sell art and, and saying, this is why you should have this. You should have this art to the blind. They're going, I, I can't see this. Or to someone who's deaf, trying to sell them music. They have no interest at all, and yet it is God who has to give them sight, give them in, and spiritually, of course, meaning. But in in that thought of the Amish, they not only don't want the car, but in the Amish's thought, they hate the car. They think it's sinful because it's technology. And, And in that analogy, the unbeliever, they have no interest. They think that... They think that Jesus is 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 evil as an Amish person would think is a car, you know. And so the reason why total depravity is so important is it shows us that, that we have to realize that the unbeliever is going to hate the God that we re- that, that we call them to repent and to believe in. They they must be given that new heart. Right. Yeah, and I think you you can clearly see examples mm-hmm. of this all throughout Scripture. Um, I even think of when Jesus raised Lazarus, Amen. and you see people witness this and they still don't believe you watch a man claims to be god claims to be the messiah raise a man from the dead and you still don't believe 
to me, the only explanation for that is total depravity. Yes. Because <laughs> I'm telling you, in my right mind, I'm going, if I saw somebody raise, I don't care how crazy this guy looks, that guy's got to be God, <laughs> right? Amen. And so the only way I can see that is if these people are so hardened mm. to the truth that even something like a resurrection doesn't convince them. And what is even more profound is that the very thing that they rejected was a picture mm. of what God does to us. Yes. That he can call us by name and we can walk out of the grave. Mm. But if Jesus had not come along and had not said, Lazarus, come out, mm. he would have stayed dead. Yeah. You know, and I think that if we, there, to me, there's only really two options. Mm. Either God looks down time in some sort of foreknowledge. Right. And he sees something within me mm-hmm. that chooses him. Mm. And that's how he elects. Right. Or God looks down time and he chooses. Amen. By his good pleasure. Amen. And if we're going to take Paul seriously when he Mm. says we're saved by grace through faith, not as a result of works, so that no man may boast, then we have to go with the option that God chooses. Amen. Because if we say that God saw something in me, Mm. then there is something in me that I can boast about. That I am worthy of of standing up and going, well, God... Mm. And I think I told you this before. You have two men in a room. Both of them hear the gospel. One chooses to believe and one does not. What is the deciding factor? Either the one who chose to believe had some moral superiority to the other guy. Yes. Or God's sovereignty was at work there. Amen. And both of them can't boast. Amen. Both of them can't boast. Amen. That's so well said. And again, you tied this into the idea of who is receiving the glory, you know? If, if I can contribute anything to my mm. salvation, mm. if I can contribute even the inclination to want to be saved, where I go, God, save me, and then he saves me, yeah. even that causes some something in me to mm. boast, something in me to receive glory, mm. and then I cannot say that it's a completely monogistic work of God. Yes! Right? And, and I, that's a problem. Oh, amen. And... I love that word monergism too because it's only been recently that I've known those two terms, monergism versus synergism, and the reality that it is a sole act of God. And just the the fact that, you know, for us and for those who are even listening to this who are habitual repenters and believers, the comfort that we can get with realizing that that sinful humanity does not on their own repent and believe. In fact, Mm. those who do repent and believe, it is a miracle when they do it. Because I I was listening to a a sermon a couple months ago, and this person was talking about how he was proclaiming the gospel at a funeral. Mm. And as he was proclaiming this gospel, the whole point of the message was, we are not saved by works, we are saved by faith in Christ. And as he was proclaiming that, uh, there was this person who he talked to after the message, And he came down and he was just talking and she said, I just want to thank you so much for that message. You know, it just, it it shows me that I just, I need to be a good person and that, you know, I I don't need this whole church thing, but I just need to be good. And that's kind of all I I need. Mm -hmm. And he's thinking, I just proclaimed a gospel of it is Christ alone who we are saved by. And yet here she is not even being able to hear it at all. And he was like, the reason why wasn't because, because at, at first he might have thought, oh, maybe it's because I didn't present it well enough. But then he realized, no, the reason why was because it was it was not veiled to her. Mm. And just the reality of, I'm sure for him, he was able to take comfort in, 
it has been veiled to me, you know, and for us, it has been veiled to us, and and just, or I should say, it has been the veil has been taken off. Unveiled is what I mean. Unveiled yeah. is what I mean. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, yeah. and just that thought of it was unveiled to that pastor has been unveiled to us, and then looking at those who it's still veiled to, yeah. and just going for whatever reason, God has just decided not to have mercy on those people, and yet He has had mercy on us, and, and it just makes us go, why? Right. Why, Lord? Why would you do that? And his answer is because he, he loves us and, and because we are elect. It's, it's right. crazy. It's yeah. mind-blowing. It is mind-blowing. Yeah, and I think, I think too, like, there, there's, there's something within us that rises up mm-hmm. that goes, well, that's not fair, right? Where we think that if God can choose, and it's ultimately, at the end of the day, eternity mm-hmm. is decided by God. Amen. That leaves in us this idea that well that's not fair, mm. and when I when I when I wrestle with that myself because I do mm. <laughs> I think anybody Same. does oh my goodness yeah <laughs> they wrestle why me Lord why not this other person well first of all I think that we need to be very careful when we mm. see somebody who's hardened yes. and going well they're just a vessel of wrath yeah well said. we we don't know what God's going to do in their life amen and they could be elect amen exactly well said. Amen. and so obviously there we need to be careful but at the same time too i i also think we need to trace this all the way back to the garden mm. where the temptation was if you eat of this tree you're not going to die you'll be like god mm. and the idea is god chooses and we think it's unfair because we want to be like god in the fact that we want to choose mm. we want to choose too we want to have the ability to say something and wow. and and do what god can do we want to be god yeah and I think wow. that our American individualism has contributed to this because we have this sense of, I control my destiny. Mm. You know, if I do this, 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 I can get a good job, go to an Ivy League school. I control my destiny. Mm. And so when you find out that your very eternity is not decided by you, mm. it's decided by God, Amen. who elects to have mercy on whom he will have mercy and harden whom he's going to harden, yes. that is a very hard thing to stomach. Mm. Um, and again, it's just one of those things where we as Christians, we have no room to boast. Amen. And so ultimately this truth, rather than cause us go, well, that's not fair, or this is not right, or it should cause us to fall to our knees in worship ultimately, right? Amen. That is so well said. And even just kind of seeing more in, in first Corinthians, as we go into verse 18, for the word of the cross is folly mm. to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning. I will thwart. And I love in verse 20, it says, where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Mm. And just the, re- the, the, the truth that, especially as our culture, and I pray for a revival. I pray that a revival will happen. But as, as we just see people, more and more people becoming hostile to the truth, I love here that it says, where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of the sage? Because I know, I, I think of just, you know, you have the those intellectually who might reject the truth. Usually it's it's the the debater, you know, the your, your Richard Dawkins, your Christopher Hitchens, you know. And just seeing where it says here, has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world. For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. And just 
that boldness that we can get where God has, because I think a lot of Christians think, why, why does the world think that what we believe, why do they think that it's foolish? Because God predestined it that way. Right. You know, he made it so that those who would reject, that, that he would literally make foolishness the wisdom of this world. And just that reality of the reason why we see it as, as precious and delightful is because we have, it has been the power of salvation to us who believe. Right, yeah. And that, that's really the reality of it, is mm. that we were talking about this earlier yeah. again. We had a great conversation <laughs> oh, off, so ca- great. off camera, but, yeah. <laughs> but the idea that there really is only two camps. Mm. There's children of God, children of wrath, and neither yes. one of those camps can speak the same language. Mm. And that is why, and, and oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to follow this thought. It just mm. went, because we are children of God, mm. We cannot possibly try to approach evangelism with eloquent words because if we are speaking a different language, Mm. then nothing that we can say is going to resonate with those who are on the road to destruction. The only thing that's going to resonate with anybody Mm. is words that are also carried by the grace of God that is going to do a work in their Mm. life. And so we need to recognize if we believe that people who are slaves of sin Mm. and people who are slaves of righteousness are not even operating with the same heart, (laughs) a heart of stone versus a heart of flesh, then how on earth is a fleshly hearted person going to say to a heart of stone person, I'm going to try to convince you of the gospel. (laughs) Exactly. It doesn't work like that. The heart of stone can't interact with the heart of flesh. So if the gospel is going to penetrate that person's heart, change their lives. It's going to be a work of God through just the simple preaching yes. of the gospel. Amen. You know, and so there's a there's an element of trust and faith mm-hmm. that has to, like, we don't always think about evangelism mm-hmm. as an act of faith, but it really truly is a tangible way in which we can show God that we have faith in him. Amen. Because... Sometimes I think we think of evangelism as, now that I've placed my faith in Christ, I'm going to go out and try to convince others to do the same. As opposed to, now that my faith is in Christ, Mm. I'm going to live a life of faith. And one of the realms that has that Mm. is evangelism. Yes. That is a demonstration of my faith in God. Mm. Because if I believe God did a work in me, then my faith is going to compel me to believe that God can do that work Mm. in other people. And that is the core of evangelism, not a not a convincing game, right? Yeah, well said. That's so well said. And I love too how just as you were talking about how when we're when we're proclaiming our desire is not to get them to change their mind because as you had said it's like God has to give them that new heart. I can think back to my own conversion as I had just, you know, started by saying I prayed the prayer when I was 6 and I would say that I was a false convert for probably 6 or 7 years. Mm. And you know, I was I would go to church, you know, I would go to uh, just different things, Sunday school, and yet my heart was completely turned off to the things of God. And yet it was, you know, th- there was kind of a moment in my life where it, it was like before I was born again, I remember desiring my sin. It was my favorite part of my life. I remember the Bible was basically like Braille. Mm-hmm. You know, like I, I did not understand. It was like it was in another language. Like I would I, I would read it or someone would do a sermon or, or something and I would it would literally go in one ear out the other. Like there was just no interest. And yet then after being saved, it was like th- there began to be that hatred for sin. There began to be that understanding of the word for the first time. And I think that's that's what it's like when someone who we're, we're witnessing to, who we're proclaiming to, God has to do that work. He has to do that monergistic work that 
only he is capable of doing. And I think as well that it's just comforting that if we have unbelieving friends, unbelieving relatives, if if evangelism is something that we're doing on a regular basis, you know, for, for us or people listening, there's I think there's such a comfort that when we proclaim, when they either respond so positively or when they respond so negatively, that God's purposes are being done and he's glorified either way. Cause right. I know it's very easy for me at times to go, Oh, well, should I be discouraged when I share the gospel and they reject when the reality is if I, so I enjoy going to, to the Gurney Mills mall and just witnessing, you know, mm. and, 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 and just as I've thought, it's like, if I was to witness to someone and they were to become the next Billy Graham, or if I was to go up to 10 people and they all rejected, God would be glorified the same either way. Right. Because his purposes are being done. And I think a lot of times we think that we we kind of put, as we were talking before about numbers, yeah. I think we can put so much thought into how many people have I saved. And the reality is you and I have saved as many people as Billy Graham. Zero. Because right. it's the Holy Spirit who saves. It is completely the work of God. Amen. Amen.